As always, Nonsense the Show is brought to you by our friends in Paso Robles, California. Partnered with the Tin City Distillery, Pat Brooks and Company call themselves Paso Wineshine. Their booze is delicious, and it'll get you fucked up. If you need to get drunk, call Paso Wineshine. They're the guys for the job. Now enjoy the soothing sounds of Nonsense the Show. It's Tuesday. You know what that means. It's time for the best and brightest moment of your week. It's time for that show you love and that show that you seek. It's time for nonsense. 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 The show, the best damn show you know. The following program is intended for mature audiences. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Quiet, numbskulls, I'm broadcasting. Do you have the time to listen to me whine about nothing and everything all at once? I am one of those melodramatic fools Neurotic to the bone, no doubt about it Sometimes I give myself the creeps Sometimes my mind plays tricks on me It all keeps setting up I think I'm crazy Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Nonsense the Show. Uh, welcomed to our show this evening by the one and only, the world famous, the Bay Area native. Thank you, Green Day. We appreciate you not licensing your music to us tonight. Oh, all right, just one more little second of this before we let it go. Here we go. Stand by. Sometimes I give myself the dreams. Sometimes my mind tricks on me. It all keeps adding up. I think I'm cracking up. And am I just paranoid or am I just stunned? Hey, ladies and gentlemen, that was Green Day. This is Nonsense, the show, episode 214. That's episode 14 of season two. Ladies and gentlemen, those numbers are getting higher every single week. Thank you once again for joining me. As always, I will be your host. I will be the leader of this inebriational entertainment escapade. My name is the one and the only, the one true captain, the finest pirate sailing the seven seas today. My name is is Captain Nick. It's a pleasure to be back. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm so grateful you've all returned. 
Ooh. Well, thanks for that, gang. That was really something else. Um, you know, I guess as we start off the show, I would really like to just tap in and and just see what, what are the people saying about Nonsense the Show? What do the people think about Captain Nick and the work he's doing? Yes, he's talking about himself in the third person right now because it makes the joke better. So I'm just going to go ahead and throw it to my assistant and my secretary, Grace, and I'm going to let Grace tell you a little bit about what the people think about good old Captain Nick. Grace, if you would. The sportos, the motorheads, geeks, sluts, bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, dickheads, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. I mean, there you have it. Thank you, Grace. Um, They all think I'm a righteous dude. <laughs> You're incredible. Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. I appreciate that. I mean, no big deal. It's it's uh, just doing the best I can, you know? You're obviously confused and aroused. I, I mean, I, I'm often confused and aroused. Well, I, I don't know if this is that kind of show. You know, I feel like people need to pay extra and log into my OnlyFans if they want that kind of show, you know? Um, the good news is I'm having a good time. I hope you're having a good time, you I know? I had an awesome time. Okay, thanks, Frank. We all know you have an awesome time. You have an awesome time everywhere you go. Why don't you just relax and let me get into the show? What do we have ahead for you today? Today is a show about dreaming. Today is a show about if you're unhappy with the world as you see it, um, taking control and doing something about it. Today is about saying, screw what they think. I'm going to make my own world. So today, I'm going to tell you a little bit about some people who do things their own way. I'm going to tell you about some big dreams. I'm going to tell you about some weird things. I'm going to tell you, uh, let's see, I'm going to read you a a short quote from Theodore Roosevelt, a man well-known for doing what he saw as necessary to change the world the way he saw it needing to be changed. Um, That's a man who was not going to wait around for somebody else to do the work. I'm going to tell you a little bit uh, about a a lost treasure. Um, These are not good people, uh, but... They decided they wanted to own something valuable, and then they went and took it. I'm going to tell you all about that. Uh, the Isabella, Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist out there in Boston. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about a man who's a personal hero of mine, a man who I decided I wanted to someday share an experience, even on a very small scale, similar to what he achieved. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the one and the only San Francisco's one and own beloved son, Emperor Joshua Abraham Norton, otherwise known simply as Emperor Norton of San Francisco. Uh, We're going to do another entry in the Captain's Film Institute. This is the fourth entry. For those of you keeping track, it doesn't matter at all. I'm just doing that so I know how many. The fourth entry in the Captain's Film Institute is going to be, well, it's a movie that I've watched a couple times in the last couple weeks. I've watched it more. It makes me happy. Um, It's a musical, so... For those of you that are into musicals, you'll enjoy this. It's a man, uh, it's, a, it's a fictional telling of the tale of a man whose life was a fiction. Um, a man by the name of Phineas T. Barnum, otherwise known as P.T. Barnum of Barnum and Bailey Circus, Barnum's American Museum, um, and a man who, who really developed showmanship as it exists today in America. He was a con man, he was a swindler, he was a liar, he was not exactly a good man. But that doesn't mean there aren't things we can learn from him, and that doesn't mean there aren't things we can admire about him. Uh, I'll tell you, so we're going to talk a little bit about uh, The Greatest Showman. I'm going to recommend you a book uh, about Mr. Barnum. Uh, we're going to play a couple of songs. And if there's time, I'm finally going to get around to telling you about Micronations. Uh, once again, the whole theme of today's episode is people seeing the world as it is and deciding they don't like it, and they would like to do something different. 
Um, those of you that know me know that I'm very much a, a man of that nature. I, I don't, I don't necessarily like a lot of the way the world is. I don't agree with it. I don't want to participate in it. And I'm desperately trying to find ways to interact with the world on my own terms. Tonight will be all about people exactly like that. People I can look up to, people I can aspire to emulate in certain ways and, you know, not be like in others. Let's go ahead and start out with, uh, well, the man himself, Mr. Teddy Roosevelt. Um, On April 23rd, 1910, Theodore Roosevelt gave what would become one of the most widely quoted speeches of his career. The former president who left office in 1909, of course, everybody knows that, had spent a year hunting in Central Africa, as you do, before embarking on a tour of Northern Africa and Europe in 1910. Attending events and giving speeches in places like Cairo, Berlin, Naples, and Oxford. This man is hitting the premier cities all over the world in his retirement tour after leaving the presidency. He stopped in Paris on April 23rd and at 3 p.m. at the Sorbonne before a crowd that included, according to uh, the Edmund Morris biography, Colonel Roosevelt, quote, ministers in court dress, army and navy officers in full uniform, excuse me, 900 students and an audience of 2,000 ticket holders. That's a lot of people, distinguished people of the British society. British. It's not the British. It's the French society. He's in Paris. <laughs> well, this show's off to a great start. This guy's a big-time asshole. Okay. Listen, we're just getting going. I don't really know if that's fucking necessary, you know? Don't bullshit me. I'm not bullshitting anybody. I'm just trying to do the best I can here. People, you know, we got a problem. We do not have a fucking problem. Up yours, up wherever your species traditionally crumbs things. You know what, Hermes? That's fucking bullshit, and I'm not okay with it. Let's get back to the fucking show. Sprinkle us with wisdom from your mighty brain. You know, guys, before I start doing these shows in the future, I might clear out my studio audience because they're a little bit unruly, and, and they're, they're kind of assholes, you know? They're kind of assholes. I'm <laughs> Oh, why do you why do you listen to this show? This is dumb as fuck. <laughs> All right, back to the story. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt hanging out with a bunch of fancy people in France. He delivered a speech called "Citizen uh, Citizenship in a Republic," which, among some, would become uh, would come to be known, and this is how I know it, um, as the man in the arena. In addition to touching on his own family history, war, human, uh, and property rights, the responsibilities of citizenship, and France's falling birth rate. Wow, that's quite a range of topics. Roosevelt railed against cynics who looked down at men who were trying to make the world a better place. This is where it ties into the theme of the episode. The poorest way to face life is to face it with a sneer, he said. A cynical habit of thought and speech, a readiness to criticize work which the critic himself never tries to perform an intellectual aloofness which will not accept contact with life's realities. All these are marks, not of superiority, but of weakness. Then, he delivered an inspirational and impassioned message that drew huge applause. Please allow me to take a sip of my beverage in honor of Teddy Roosevelt before I quote his words. Burns so good when it hits your lips. 
In the words of President Roosevelt, it is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause? who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I get chills every time I read or speak those words. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again right now. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly? so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Ooh, oh, it's so good. <laughs> the speech was a wild success. According to Morris, who calls it one of Roosevelt's greatest rhetorical triumphs, citizen, citizenship in a republic ran in the Journal des Debats as a Sunday supplement, got sent to the teachers of French by Le Temps, was printed by Library Hachette on Japanese vellum and was turned into a pocketbook that sold 5,000 copies in five days and was translated across Europe. Roosevelt, Morris writes, was surprised at its success, admitting to Henry Cabot Lodge that the reaction of the French was a little difficult for me to understand. (laughs) Teddy Roosevelt, of course, is a character in our history who it's hard to believe he's a a real living, breathing person. It's hard to read the stories and the speeches and hear the legends of the man and go, oh yeah, that's a real person who had hopes and dreams and, you know, had to use the bathroom and and screwed up and, and got pissed off. And no, 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 this man is a superhero. He's a legend. He might as well be Paul Bunyan, right? Absolutely incredible. If you enjoy Teddy Roosevelt, if you want to hear me more, do uh, hear me more, hear more uh, from me about Mr. Roosevelt, about his presidency, about his adventures, about the Rough Riders, about his legacy, about how he uh, impacted uh, the beloved critter we know today as the teddy bear. Um, just go ahead and write in beardandbones at gmail.com or beardandbones on the Instagram. Write me, uh, write me a message. Tell me what you think of nonsense. Tell me what you think of me. Uh, say nice things. Send me money. 
Um, you don't have to send me money. You could send me gifts too. Um, <laughs> but seriously, um, write to me. Let me know. If you want to hear more, I will do more. I'll do some proper research. I'll put together a little biography. Maybe I'll even, uh, you know, see what else I can dig up. Who knows what kind of exciting things I'll find for you. Um, I wanted to share that with you. There's a lot of these quotes and these speeches and these uh, kind of impactful things that I uh, I just enjoy talking about. I enjoy sharing them. And I thought it would be nice to share one of them with you tonight for your own educational thinking. Chew on the idea. And and to me, one of the one of the easiest ways you can take Roosevelt's words in the man in the arena and and put them into practice immediately is look at the way you interact with people on the internet. There's a whole lot of people, and I am not innocent of this. I'm doing better, but I'm not innocent. Um, who like to get on the internet and like to talk all about how people could be doing something better. Here's the ways you messed up. Here's the things you forgot. Here's the things you could do better. Here's why you're a piece of shit and your mother should be ashamed of you, right? There's a whole lot of that going around the internet. And usually the people that are doing it, the people that are saying it, are not the people that are putting themselves out there on the internet. They're not the ones that are creating something and, and, and putting it out to the world. They're not the ones that are out there learning and trying and exposing vulnerabilities and weaknesses for the world. It takes zero bravery to talk shit through the internet. Zero. It takes zero wit, intelligence, character. Nothing about talking shit on the internet is something you should be proud of. However, if you find yourself getting shit talked on the internet because you're sharing artwork or music or a project you did at your house, or something you've achieved that you're really proud of, something you're working hard for, whatever it may be. If you find yourself putting yourself out there and people are talking shit to you, well, I promise you that's a good thing because as much as it hurts and as sad or upsetting as it can be, that's a surefire indicator that you're doing something right, something impressive, something unusual, something scary. Good on you. God knows I'll be here to cheer you on. And pretty soon here, we're going to do a little uh, a little share with Captain Nick, where I'm going to ask you guys to share with me things that you're proud of, things that you're working on, things that you're achieving, and so on and so forth. I want to know, and I want to share them with our listeners, and I want to celebrate with you. So especially if you have something in audio form that I can share on the show, that'd be great. If not, if you have something you want me to share, uh, send it over. I'll put it up on my Instagram. I'll tag you in it. We'll, uh, we'll take a minute. We'll celebrate you and we'll get uh, as many people as we can to uh, say nice things to you and, and, and celebrate your awesomeness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good talk. Okay. <clears throat> now I'm going to bring you into what inspired me to do this episode. Kind of what the, 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 the theme was, was brought to me by. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to play you some music. Hmm. Let's do. Here we go. Actually, here. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do, ladies and gents. Oh, shit balls. Oh, shit balls. I'm pressing the wrong buttons. Okay, here. Ladies and gentlemen, the time is now. The Captain's Film Institute nonsense the show in Beard and Bones Media. Proudly present to you, Captain Nick's movie review. 
of the P.T. Barnum story. The Greatest Showman. This is the moment you've waited for You've been searching in the dark Your sweat soaking through the floor Ooh, alright Tonight I'm going to tell you about a, a, a movie that has rapidly risen in the ranks To uh, sit right near the top it's, it's at the top, but it's not alone Of my favorite musicals of all time um, It's quickly become a movie that I put on When I want a little smile When I want to feel good um, it's got Hugh freaking Jackman in it. And how can you go wrong with Hugh Jackman? Um, if I could grow up and be like anybody, it would, Hugh Jackman would be on that list. Um, Zach Efron's in the movie. I love Zach Efron. The guy's incredible. He's a superstar. He's handsome. He's charming. He's kind. He's talented. He can sing. He can dance. He can do action movies. He's funny. Come on. Uh, you've got Zendaya. How do you not get pumped when you see a movie with freaking Zendaya in it? The cast is incredible. The soundtrack's incredible. The story is wonderful. The visuals are, are, are really kind of incredible. They capture a lot of the magic that Barnum was really trying to present to the people that he was, uh, he was, he was entertaining. Let me go ahead and just read you the, 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 the storyline here. <clears throat> Orphaned. Penniless, but ambitious and with a mind crammed with imagination and fresh ideas, the American entertainer Phineas Taylor Barnum will always be remembered as the man with the gift to blur the line between reality and fiction. Thirsty for innovation and hungry for success, the son of a tailor manages to open a wax museum. However, he soon shifts focus to the unique and the peculiar. Introducing extraordinary, never-before-seen live acts on the circus stage. Now, some people call Barnum's rich collection of oddities an outright freak show. But when Phineas, obsessed for the cheers and respectability, gambles everything on the opera singer Jenny Lind to appeal to a highbrow audience, he will lose sight of the most crucial aspect of his life, his family. Will Barnum, the greatest showman, risk it all to be accepted? Pretty good. Pretty good little tagline. This is the story of... An absolute nobody called Phineas Taylor Barnum. A man who saw the world as it was and decided that was not good enough. He wanted more. He had the imagination. He had the ideas. He had the skills. The only thing he didn't have was the money and the social status. In the movie, we watch as young Phineas Barnum falls in love with a rich girl, the daughter of one of his father's customers. You see the shame on his face as her father makes it very clear that even though she likes him, even though she reciprocates his feelings, there is nothing there and he will never be good enough for that little girl. They are simply from different social classes. She, a rich powerful, sophisticated woman to be. He, the poor son of a nobody. Determined to prove that snooty rich man wrong, 
Mr. Barnum sets out to make his name and make his fortune. His imagination is only dwarfed by his ambition, and as he chases every opportunity under the sun, he finally captures one. Talk about the tangles. <clears throat> Mr. Barnum eventually figures out a way to procure a wax museum. He renames it Barnum's American Museum, and he is mystified and amazed by all of these incredible oddities, even though they are stuffed and ragged. His early efforts are met with very little success because nobody wants to come into a building and see a bunch of stuffed, weird, dead shit. That's just obvious. Eventually, he gets the bright idea and the inspiration to start uh, uh, locating oddities and unusual people. Bearded ladies, giant men, fat or tall, didn't matter. Acrobats, jugglers, singers, circus acts. One of his most famous being a very small man who he called General Tom Thumb. He bought the young man a fancy uniform, and soon enough, they were entertaining queens, royalty across the world, amassing a fortune unbelievable to themselves just a couple of years before. Eventually, Barnum recognizes that no matter how successful his museum and circus acts are, he will never be accepted into the high society whose approval he's been chasing his entire life. His now wife's rich, snooty father will never, ever accept him because he's still an outcast. He's still an outsider. And so Barnum, while visiting the Queen of England, decides to take a shot at hiring a world-famous singer by the name of Jenny Lynn. He offers to bring her to America and put her into the finest ballrooms in all of the country. He takes her on a whirlwind tour in which her fame only rises in his right along with it. Through her talent and the highbrow, sophisticated crowd she drew, he finally earned the sophistication he so desired. Unfortunately, it was at the expense of his family, his freak show, and the people that got him. To that place. The Greatest Showman is a movie that tells bits and pieces of the Barnum story. It's not the whole story. It's not the accurate story, but it doesn't need to be. It hits the right notes. Um, The general themes are the same, wherein Barnum's ambition was greater than his ability to control it. His success outpaced him at a rate that no man could keep up with. 
He got caught up in the whirlwind. And like so many other men before and after him, he felt the consequences. Uh, Barnum is a man who fascinates me for so many reasons. Um, I mean, this is a man who, as we talked about earlier, he essentially invented modern day showmanship. As a man who likes to believe I have a little bit of Barnum in my soul, there's a little bit of showman in me. Um, he's somebody that I have to pay some respect to. He's somebody that I have to uh, spend a little bit of time and, and just kind of bow at the altar of every now and again, you know? <clears throat> so, uh, sip a rum for Mr. P.T. Barnum, a trailblazer and a visionary uh, in, in the truest of forms. Uh, not, a, not a good man, but a great man in his way for all of his faults, for all of his mistakes, for all of his evil deeds. He's a man who left his mark, and that can never, ever be ignored. Here's to you, Mr. Barnum. Before I give you the book, I'm going to go ahead and play most of a song that comes from the soundtrack. It's sort of the main theme of the show, uh, of the movie. And it kind of encapsulates a lot of feelings for me um, that I've held my whole life. I've always been a big dreamer. I've always wanted grand and extravagant things. Not so much the, uh, the, 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 the fancies, but, but interesting, unique. Um, things that other people don't have because other people haven't thought of them. Or other people don't put the same value in them that I do. I've always wanted to have, have the opportunity to create my own world. But my dreams and my imagination and my aspirations often and always outstrip my ability and my influence and uh, my funding. (laughs) So I'm going to go ahead and just give you, uh, we're going to give you a taste of a song called A Million Dreams because it just, uh, it gets me every time. It gets me teary-eyed. I start crying, hopeful tears when I hear it. So please enjoy, sing along if you know the words. I'll check back in momentarily. I close my eyes and I can see a world that's waiting up for me that I call my own. Through the dark, through the door, through where no one's been before, but it feels like home. They can say it all sounds Here it comes, guys. This is where it gets good. They can say, they can say I've lost my mind. I don't care, I don't care, so call me crazy. We can live in a world that we desire. Here we go. Out of reach, as far away as the stars. There's a house we can build, every room inside is filled with things from far away. 
Special things I compile Each one there to make you smile On a rainy day Sing it out loud, you know you want to care if they call us crazy run away to a world that we desire every night i lie in bed the brightest colors fill my head a million dreams keeping me awake i think of what the world could be a vision Okay, I didn't really mean to make you guys listen to that whole song, but <laughs> thank you for taking the ride with me. I uh, I got the tingles all over my body. I got a big old grin on my face. I have those powerful, deep, emotional dream tears in my eyes. Maybe I'm alone in this, but sometimes I start thinking about some of these dreams I've got, some of these goals I've got, some of these things I'm working towards. And I start really getting deep into my, into my mind and in my imagination and in my heart and imagining what it would feel like. What would it feel like to achieve, pick a dream, pick a dream. I don't know if I want to share some of them. I, <clears throat> to stop for a minute and to allow myself to imagine the moment of achievement the moment after achievement when I get to bask in the glory of hard work paying off. When I get to bask in a dream come true and in a reality that is finally something that I I chose and not something that I'm fighting against. And, and sometimes when I start thinking about that, I get so emotional. 
and I can feel it well up in my body. It's a physical sensation. And it's overwhelming. And I can feel it fill me up through my chest and up through my neck. And then I can feel my jaw clench up and then loosen. And then my, my, my smile get wider so that it hurts. I can feel my ears start to burn and tingle in a, in a very pleasant way. I can feel my brain start lighting up like a 4th of July fireworks finale. And, and then as my body is so tense and trembly and, and, and just charged with all of this incredible emotion, it, you know, the tears start flowing. Maybe I'm singing a song. Maybe I'm thinking deeply. Maybe I'm meditating. It doesn't fucking matter. Maybe I'm just driving down the street to go buy some chicken. But sometimes the, 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 the feeling hits you and you have to just let it wash over you and you have to experience it. You have to be present in it. You have to just let it fucking hit you. And it just fills your tanks right back up. And then all of a sudden, maybe you were feeling a little tired before. Maybe you were feeling a little worn out. Maybe you were feeling a little exhausted from the journey. You're beat up. You're bruised. You're battered. You don't know if it's worth it. You don't know if you'll make it. You don't have any confidence in yourself because all you can see are the failures. Failure, 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 failure. You can't see any victories. You look back at the road you've traveled and it's pothole after pothole after pothole. And it's and it's it's all you can see all the spots where you fell and stumbled, and you can see the blood you've left behind, and you can see the equipment you've had to drop, and you can see every painful inch that you've traveled. But when that emotion hits you and when it wells you up, and when when you when you live in that moment for a minute, you can see the beauty of it. The color rushes back into the world. Everything's bright, it's clean, it's fresh, it's new, it's shiny. And that dream is not just a dream. It's not just a wish. It's not a destination at the end of a long, 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 hard, uncertain road. No, no, no. In that moment, your dream is a reality. You can touch it. You can feel it. You can taste it. It's as tangible and real as the nose on your face. And that, my friends, that moment, that incredible emotion, that body trembling, tear-bringing, earth-shattering moment, that is fucking magic. That's a moment worth living for. You can take that to the fucking bank. That is a moment worth living for. Ooh... Greatest showman got me feeling a little, woo, fired up, a little emotional. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and take a little break. We're going to go ahead and just hang out with my buddy, the big pun. We're going to go ahead and kick it back just a little bit. Maybe. Maybe we're not. Maybe it ain't going to fucking work. Oh, shit, y'all. All right, hang on. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Don't worry about it. Um, all right, so I had a plan, but we're going to change it. <laughs> we're going to change it because uh, the Spotify is not working right now because it must know that I'm stealing its fucking music. Okay, here, let's see. Here's how we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do this. Boom. There it is. Magic, baby. 
What up, Big Pun? What up, Joe? Tell it to the people. I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. Tip one back for Big Pun. Gonna bring the mood back up for a minute, you know what I mean? Get some energy back into the show. Hit him with it. time I hear this song, I have to sing along, and then, um, this one to me, hang on, okay, this one and this one always go together for me, I used to get them confused for some reason, but now, like, sometimes I gotta listen to these back to back, it's the Terror Squad, Fat Joe, Remy Ma, Lean Back, I just love it. I just love that shit. <laughs> and I'm definitely waiting for a uh, copyright notice to come any freaking day now from uh, from Spotify or freaking somebody. Because I'm using a lot of music without the rights to it. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. I know. Hashtag pirates. What you got to do, you know? All right. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up and fuck off. All right. I'm going to give you guys a book recommendation tied into our movie review for this evening. Captain's Film Institute, film number four, was The Greatest Showman with Hugh Jackman and some other cool folks. Uh, Last year, I decided it was finally time to do some deep reading about Mr. Barnum, and so I read a book called Barnum's Own Story, the autobiography of P.T. Barnum, written by, you guessed it, Brad Pitt. Just kidding, P.T. Barnum. So this is um, P.T. Barnum actually wrote two autobiographies in his life. One was one when he was younger, one when he was older. This is the book written when he was older. This one has some noticeable differences in that in the stories he tells, he certainly shifts some details and some facts and embellishes some things in such a way that he looks a little bit better. In his younger years, in his brasher years, he was a little bit more honest about what he was up to. Um, But in this one, he cleans things up a bit. He was older. He was a little bit more uh, more mellowed out at the time. P.T. Barnum's career of showmanship and charlatanry was marked by a surprising undercurrent of honesty and forthrightness. His exuberant autobiography forms a happy combination of all those traits, revealing the whole story of his world-famous hoaxes and publicity stunts. 
Here was a pageant of 19th century America's gullibility and thirst for marvels, as told by the master of revels himself. A born storyteller, Barnum recalls his association with Tom Thumb, his audience with Queen Victoria, and his trouble keeping Jenny Lynn's angelic image intact during a trying tour. He tells of Jumbo, the most famous elephant in history, from the creature's heroic arrival in America to its tragic death in a railroad accident, of his attempts to transfer Shakespeare's home in Madame Tussaud's waxworks from England to New York. Madame Tussaud's waxworks. That's a little bit of a tongue twister. That's hard to say. Um, And of his grand re-entry into public life after financial failure and five disastrous fires had all but wiped him out. The true life tale of a man of boundless imagination and indomitable energy, Barnum's autobiography embodies the spirit of America's most exciting boom years. Um, Barnum is a man who was financially and socially ruined multiple times. This was a self-made man who was destroyed several times, five times by fire, had everything he, everything he owned destroyed, and he came back every single time bigger and better. This is a man who, by hook or by crook, figured out a way to make it happen. And then along the way, he figured out how to tell the story his way. Um, If you're not familiar with the story of Jumbo the Elephant, that's an interesting one. Uh, Jumbo the Elephant is actually the origin of the word Jumbo. That's another story I can tell sometime. If you want to hear that story, Beard and Bones, gmail.com, Beard and Bones on the Instagram. Tell me if you like the show, say nice things about me, so on and fucking so forth. All right, let's see. 45 minutes into the show, and what's going to end up happening? (laughs) Um, Okay. Hmm. Lost Treasures or Emperor Norton? Once again, the Micronations are going to get put off for another, uh, another time. Sorry, Micronations. Uh, my apologies to Sealand, the Conch Republic, the Hutt River Province, and uh, the Grand Dictatorship of Malosia. Um, you'll learn about them in another episode. I know I've been promising that for like, I don't know, four episodes now, but um, let's make sure I stay on microphone too. <laughs> oh, lordy, fucking lordy. Let's see here. What do we got? What do we got? Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. It's a fact. Thank you, Mr. Bueller. When I get to the workplace, I like to fuck shit up. Yeah. Yeah. You and me both, friend. You and me both. You suck, you jackass. Okay, that's just unfucking necessary I don't think we needed to do that, and that's kind of hurt my feelings, if I'm honest. Well, boo-fucking-who. Okay, come on. You guys, I'm just trying to put on a nice show for you. And then Check it- out the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. Whoa, 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 what? Your balls are showing. Oh, okay. (laughs) I don't know if anybody enjoys that soundboard as much as I do. I don't know if anybody enjoys that soundboard at all. But I know that when I sit here and press these stupid buttons and and make you guys listen to me um, play with (laughs) these fucking movie quotes, it just makes me happy. And really, I just... I am the smartest man alive! That's, yeah, that's exactly how I feel. That's precisely it. So sorry to interrupt. Oh, just relax, Billy. It's fine. You're good. You're good. Everything's okay. Okay? <laughs> oh my God, that is funny! Weird. Okay, well. Strange. 
Hey, man, got a big box of porn for you. Whoa, 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 whoa. I told you after the show. After. You know, I don't think we need to do the thing where we tell each other everything. No, I agree. I agree. Let's not do that. Let's instead talk about... Why is that so much fun to me? Why is that so enjoyable? Okay, let's see. Here's what we're going to talk about. I'm going to tell you guys about the single largest property theft in the world. At least as of a couple years ago. This is another entry into the Lost Treasure series. It's a pretty short one because the show is already getting long. So I'm going to keep it short and sweet, and then we're going to close this episode out. Capiche? Capiche. In the early hours of March 18th, a vehicle... uh, What was the year? What year was this? Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Here we go. Let's see. 1990. The year is 1990. You are outside the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston, Massachusetts. In the early hours of March 18th, a vehicle pulled up uh, near the side entrance of the museum. Two men in police uniforms pushed the museum buzzer, stated they were responding to a disturbance, and requested to be let in. The guard on duty broke protocol and allowed them through the employee entrance. At the fake officer's request, he stepped away from the watch desk. He and a second security guard were handcuffed and tied up in the basement of the museum. And per the picture sitting in front of me, they were also duct taped all around their heads. This one guy has a lot of long curly hair and he's got duct tape all over it. Looks terrible. Um, mm. Handcuffed and tied up in the basement of the museum. The thieves departed with 13 of Gardner's works of art 81 minutes later. The museum was equipped with motion detectors. So the thieves movement were recorded. Thieves' movements were recorded. The best-known works of art were taken from the Dutch Room. They cut Rembrandt's The Christ in the Storm of the, on the Sea of Galilee and A Lady and the Gentleman in Black from their frames, removed Vermeer's The Concert and Flink, Flink's uh, Landscape with an Obelisk from their frames, pulled an ancient Chinese bronze goo or beaker from a table, and took a small self-portrait etching of Rembrandt uh, from the side of a chest. In the short gallery, on the same floor as the Dutch Room, five Degas drawings in a bronze eagle finial, uh, which used to belong to Napoleon, uh, were stolen. Manet's Chez Tortoni was taken from the Blue Room. The thieves departed at 2.45 a.m. after making two separate trips to their car with the artwork. The guards remained handcuffed until police arrived at 8.15 a.m. So these guys grabbed some police uniforms, showed up at the side door of the museum, rang the buzzer or knocked or whatever and said, hey, we're the cops. We got a problem. You got to let us in. And the museum guard, breaking all protocol, going against the rules, going against his training, going against protocol, said, yeah, all right, I'll let you in. When the fake cops got inside, they said, hey, could you come over here away from your desk for a minute? And he's like, yeah, sure. I don't see why not. You're cops. I can trust you. And then they tied him up, duct taped his head, grabbed his buddy, duct taped his head to two, I assume, handcuffed him and then threw him in a basement for like eight hours. How many hours? Yeah, I don't know. Whole bunch of hours. Long fucking time. Way longer than you want to be stuck in a fucking in a uh, in a basement. <clears throat> uh, the, the 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 mystery still has not been solved, and the remain the return of the gardener's work remains a top priority. In fact, in the museum, um, 
it's a permanent exhibition, so it doesn't get changed. So to this day, the frames where these pieces of art once once hung have been left and remain empty um, in hopeful tribute that the pieces will be returned at some point. The museum continues to actively investigate the theft and works in partnership with the FBI and U.S. Attorney's Office. There is a $10 million reward for information leading directly to the recovery of all 13 works of art in good condition and a separate $100,000 reward for the Napoleonic finial. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Today, empty frames remain hanging in the museum as a placeholder for the missing works and as a symbol of hope awaiting their return. Um, where is... It is estimated the value of the works that were stolen is somewhere around $500 million. No arrests have been made and no works of art have been recovered. (coughs) It is suspected that organized crime is responsible for the theft, specifically the Boston mob. Um, The Italian mafia in Boston uh, is suspected to be involved. There are several names here. Apparently there were two suspects, but they are now dead. Whitey Bulger is involved. Um, it's a whole fucking mess of a thing. So just imagine that all these guys had to do was grab some police uniforms. They walked in, they tied up the guards, and then they took their time cutting specific chosen works out of the frame, rolling them up real nice, taking them out to their car. They're like, oh, this is a nice Chinese goo, which is just a fancy word for beaker. I'm going to take that. And, oh, look, this uh, eagle that's made of bronze that used to fly above Napoleon's troops um, in like the 1840s. Uh, yeah, we'll go ahead and take that too. But what's weird is that they left a lot of obviously more valuable works. So it, it's kind of suspected that these specific pieces were targeted. They It was almost like maybe they were sent there with an order. Okay, we need to get uh, uh, Christ on the, on, the, uh, on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, we need to get that uh, Chinese beaker thing. And we need to get the... Get that metal eagle, too. Yeah, that's nice. Put that on top of my Christmas tree. Weird. Very strange deal. Strange, strange mystery. Who the hell knows what's going on? I sure don't. And tonight, as we go out, um, I appreciate y'all sticking with me. I'm surprised, actually, the episode has gone by so fast. We're already at 53 minutes. It's been a long episode. I hope it's been an entertaining one. I trust you guys will let me know if it has. Um, and if it wasn't, I, I trust you'll also let me know. But please do it kindly because, you know, I'm, I'm sensitive. I'm fragile. <coughs> Excuse me. You can hear my throat drying out, which means it's time for me to start ending the show. Um, before we do, though, I just feel like we should play the greatest song in the history of the world. So to my dear friends, Tenacious D, please uh, just give the people what they want this is the greatest and best song in the world I just told him that Jack it's fine you, you, alright just do your thing sorry go ahead tribute tribute long time ago me and my brother Kyle here and Captain Nick too we was hitchhiking down a long and a lonesome road all of a sudden there shined a shiny demon in the middle of the road and he said play the best song in the world 
or I'll eat yourselves. Well, me and Kyle, we looked at each other. And we each said, okay. And we played the first thing that came to our heads. Just so happened to be the best song in the world. It was the best song in the world. Look into my eyes and it's easy to see. One and one make two, two and one make three. It was destiny. Once every hundred thousand years or so. And the sun does shine and the moon does glow. And the dust to say the beast was stunned a whip crack went his trumpet tail and the beast was done he asked us be you angels and we said nay we are but men just a tribute you guys it's just a tribute thanks to tenacious d for letting me steal that song just to play a little bit of it for the people tonight oh tenacious d are a couple of guys who are obviously dreamers and doers and people who like to make the world in their own freaking image their own weird wild rock and roll image Listen, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Nonsense, the show, episode 214. My name is Captain Nick. I hope you enjoyed it. I had fun doing it. It went by real fast. We're going to do some of these stories next week. Emperor Norton, Micro Nations, whole bunch more. Thanks for tuning in. I freaking love you. I'll see you next week. Write me a letter. Okay, thanks. Love you. Bye. I'm glad we had this talk.